when we were talking about, uh, it brings to mind a, a graven image, trying to think of more about Jesus or whatever. And hopefully I did include it in this. It may not be in this. I don't think I've passed it already, but it may be in some future teachings or whatever. But graven images brings us into bondage. And that's why he says don't create graven images of anything heaven or anything earth or stars or these heavenly things or anything of that nature or whatever. And we read chapter 40 and 18 through 20 when he says to whom will you liken God or what likeness will you compare to him? And the workman melted a graven image and the goldsmith spread it over with gold and cast it silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he had no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Something that he can visibly or tangibly worship God. Something that he can relate in his mind to form God or whatever. And God's word does that. Anything else is a God of our imagination, a God of our creation. The last few verses of that, the living Bible says, Are you so ignorant? Are you so deaf to the words of God? The words he gave before the world began is that you can't have, God is not like anything. You can't find anything that's like God. You can't say God is like this. God Is it incomprehensible? What can you compare to God? There's nothing you could compare to God or bring into mind or whatever. Uh, but this same principle in Exodus 32, it is not long before people associate the image with God. Whatever it is, whether it be a, whatever it is, sooner or later they start associating that image with God, whether it be cross or Bibles or, or this anything. You associate that with God. That becomes a graven image to you. Where God exists, exists in the mind, and the Spirit creates and shapes us in His image, in His likeness. That's what the Spirit's job is. It's a transformation of our mind, our way of thinking, our way of doing things. Uh, I'm going to read the second chapter of Habakkuk here, the 18th verse to the 20th verse but if you want to get a little bit more context start up a little bit higher where you notice that it's five different woes that God had was pronouncing to the people and was telling them about but uh, just to pull it out uh, in the context that we want to look at it in, uh, in in this it says about the sixth verse when God's the judgments of the Chaldeans for uh, their numerous sins against him and he's pronouncing his woes but I just want to start with the 18th verse that says what profit the graven image that the makers thereof have graven it the molten image and a teacher of lies that the maker of his work trusted therein to make dumb idols. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake to the dumb stone again, Arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. 
but the Lord is in his holy temple. Law the earth keeps silent before him. So we know with Islam and a lot of other things that the Antichrist couldn't come through that because it would be worshiping a man, a image of, of, and all men are in the image of Adam because all men are in Adam. And we are being spiritually made, those of us that are born again, in the image of Jesus Christ. So that image is not there. But when that's why when you have politicians or preachers, or whether it's your spouse or children or anything that you love or adore or worship or so much admiration or covet, you have a tendency to make that an idol or that becomes... That takes the place of God. You, you may not know it. You may dismiss it as not being an idol. You may say you love God more than it or whatever. But that's not going to be the case. It's not the case, and those that are spiritual can see it's not the case. That's why we can see a fallen nation. That's why I say religiously we can see that all of the things that are in the church that the church has apostatized. That celebrity has taken over the church. Uh, that what are you seeing? Are well-groomed preachers, or well-groomed teachers, or singers, and things. That's why Jesus was talking about John and those that are prophets and that lived in the wilderness. And some of the things with the prophets and those that were truly of God were. Now uh, you have no longer like I tell you. A problem was within this church. We had those that wanted to march in and put the focus on the choir or whatever, it was bringing man to the forefront. It was centering on the music. It was centering on the singer. It was centering on the individual. It was centering on the the self. And that's what you have when you have all of these songs and when you have preaching as it is now, as it was during Paul's time, they have respective preachers. That's why certain preachers can fill an auditorium or whatever and do certain things. The people are not worried about the Word of God. The people are looking at that individual, this individual, or whether it be male or female, or these songs or the things that we do. Uh, a couple of years back, remember I told you the, the people from Bethany, they packed it down there with Kanye West. He was in the midst of a divorce, and he's staying with somebody else now, and somebody's staying with his wife and the thing that's going on in his life, but spiritually the people were following him because he could sing. The singing is what got them, and they would pay, what, 50 or $60 for his tickets or to go to the concert because it's to a non-converted people. It's to a people that make individuals their idols, and you could name the idols and the people whose records or their songs or their concert sales out that are larger than others. Whereas, I don't know if anybody, like I was used to some, to some country churches or to some good old churches or whatever, where somebody would stand up and sing a song or they had a choir and the choir would sing or whatever. And it was more spiritual, it was more heartfelt music and it put you in a better spirit then because it wasn't paid singers, it wasn't hirelings given to the organ and the the drums and the guitars and all this it was singing from the heart to God and it wasn't just showing off or whatever 
So you had all these people sometime, and like I said here, we had people that would just stand up at the beginning of service and sing a song to the Lord of singing, and the people would feel good behind it. And that's what the psalmist David would with his psalms and the sons of Korah or whatever. But now the focus is on self. It's attention and idolization. And we're not even listening at the words. And as Mahalia Jackson sung in one of her songs, I'm going to live the life I sing about in my song. How many people are living the life that they're singing about in their songs? And how many of them songs are about lifting up Jesus and bringing him to the forefront? And that, that has to be spirit-induced. That's a spiritual in, induction. And so Habakkuk was saying the fifth woe was idolatry, particularly the second commandment as God speaks mainly about graven images. Obviously, the first commandment also applies but the one about graven images, and that's the one that seemed to be have overrun us today. And the people say, oh, no, I don't bow down to idol. He's not mine. But he's an icon. He's what you're worshiping or what you're following. It's not Christ, and it's not a repentance that we have. If it was with as many people speaking or saying religions, if their heart wasn't as far from them as Jesus said, it would be no way the nation would be having the violence and the upheaval and the oppression and the injustices that it's having if it was a spiritual nation, if it was a Christian nation. It's all a lie. There's only a few people. So we feel more united. There's people throughout the world that we're united to, that we're one in Christ, we may not know those, but it's like the Elijah syndrome. You can't think you're the only one serving God just because the majority around you is not. When he said your enemies will be those of your own household, he was talking to the ones that was going to be serving God and would be able to distinguish and know that a lot of the people in his household were against him that they wasn't serving God, that a lot of us don't have the knowledge or understanding to know when somebody is not with us, to, to know when somebody is to have a discerning of spirit, to be able to pick up and know those of our whole household or those of us or those that are around us that are not serving God. We can't find them spot the counterfeit Christians. We can't spot the ones that are not following Christ. Anybody name the name of Christ, we wholeheartedly accept them, but not through the eyes of one that's walking circumspectively. We're a naive generation. We are ones that have fallen away from the watchfulness that should be in Christ Jesus. The watchfulness that's, that's one thing we have to have a watchfulness in that if we don't, we can be led away because of the deceptiveness of idolatry. But uh, graven images, Exodus uh, 20 and 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That is irreverently in false affirmation or in ways that impugn the character of God. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless, nor leave unpunished the one who takes his name in vain, that is, disregarding its reverence and its power. 
You shall not use the name of Jehovah your God irreverently, nor use it to swear a falsehood. You will not escape punishment. If you do, you have a problem then. The third commandment regulates this, and the Jews were more on this than we are today. Uh, one of your things, if you want to look throughout it, start in the New Testament, uh, or you can get a concordance, or you can get something else and look. See how many times the name of Jesus is mentioned in the New Testament? How many times apostles use the name of Jesus? And you'll see that it's not with the frequency at which people do today. And that's why I say, I, thought, I think it's lost, not the name itself, it would be like the ones, the seven sons of Sceva. The name has power, but through a misuse or overuse of his name, as he was saying in that commandment, they're taking Jesus' name in vain. There's a lot of people that use his name and hadn't departed from iniquity. It says that anyone named the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And you see the children and all that. Jesus has become a, 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 a household name to many or whatever. And I think we've watered down the power of the efficacy of using that name. The reason the Jewish people during their time wrote the name of God with consonants and no vowels to where you couldn't pronounce the name of God. There's power in a name. And that's why he says that you won't be held guiltless those that use his name in vain or those that just use the name of Christ because it's nothing to play with the name of Christ. And being a Christian and naming that name, we don't have the reverence and fear that we should have in using that name. The third commandment regulates the quality of our worship. It involves glorifying God in every aspect of life. But most people regard the third commandment commandment very lightly. The Jews believe that because it reads, the Lord will not hold him guiltless, there's no forgiveness for transgressing it. Uh, it may not. We, we, we're saying that the Jews do that. But if it is this important, perhaps we should pay closer attention to it. And the people that name the name of Jesus, do you take a look at them? Uh, we, uh, do you listen when people call the name of Jesus nowadays? That, that's one thing that we, we've lost. I think we've, we've, we've allowed it to fall by the wayside. Uh, to use that name, we're standing in the place and the position and authority that Jesus has given us to use that name. And to use that name irreverently uh, at a time to play or whatever. And sometimes, even with my own adult children or, or with different people, I kind of get away from them or whatever when they use that name sort of cavalierly. You can hear comedians and things joking with the name of Jesus and with churches and everything. And Steve Harvey does it a great deal in what he does or whatever. He's very irreverent in that, but he says he's religious or whatever. And, I think among a lot of the blacks on television, you see them playing with churches a little bit more than other people. I think we've been, we, we went askew there. It was the African Methodist Church and some of the churches that has brought, brought us a great distance from where we were. But the younger people nowadays don't know what the struggles that they are 
forefathers of some of the people and their grandparents and things went through. And I think that they're using religious in a throwaway manner now and not respecting God. Because if you if you respecting him, and it's not a graven image, and it's not something you use cavalier. People even look at the way you're dressed and all of the things that you do whenever you name in the name of Christ. That's a pretty strong statement. And that's what the Jews look at. And that's why the Jews, you notice that they don't embrace Christianity, American or Westernized Christianity, and the way that others do because it's, it's really a commercialized religion here in America. They have used it in such a way, a profitable way. They use it in a material way and not in a, in a way. Not, not, I'm not saying as a whole. I'm, I'm saying as a whole, but I'm saying that there are the faithful. There's always that remnant out there that's not, uh, that's not given to idolatry or braven images. God asks us, to whom then will you liken God? Uh, what likeness will you compare to him? To whom then will you liken me? To whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One of Israel? Obviously, the, the second commandment expressly forbids making any representation of him. Do we see a lot of representations of Jesus Christ? And images and icons of him? Quite a bit. Quite a bit. But you don't see anywhere in the New Testament where any of the disciples described how Jesus looked, uh, image or anything that we can form anything of Jesus. You don't find that nowhere in the Bible. Mm, God is unique. Nothing can compare with him. We are without a point of contact or physical reference to make any comparisons to God and to Jesus because... It says we know no man after the flesh and we no longer know Jesus after the flesh. So we do have a problem there. We'll go over that later on, the physical resemblance of God. The physical resemblance of God in the shaping power of our trials. Why we're going through those trials and things and how it shapes us and molds us into, into the image and likeness of God. What we see most people nowadays trying to escape trials and tribulations and sufferings. They concentrate on surgery and all kinds of cosmetology on their physical appearances or whatever. And, and not that Peter forbids it, but he forbids the access in the physical appearance in that way. This ought to show us the absolute folly of making images on its face, every image is a lie. Every image is a lie. But should we not try to understand, to learn what God is like? Remember I told you the Bible had a lot of similes in it. And those similes were trying to give us uh, a picture to our spiritual man, to the mind of the seat of our understanding to those that were born again because the Bible is not written to the natural minded man. It's written to the spiritual man. So those attributes are put there, the likeness of God is put there to stir up or put something in your faith man. 
it gives you a context in which God talks it. God does not want us concerned with what he looks like because it emphasizes the wrong area. And like I said, we're a nation, we're a people that emphasize on the physical how do things look. We obsess with that and we pay a lot of money about looks and things. Our vehicles look, our houses look, our children, how we look. So much money is spent on the self. So much is spent on looks and that's one of the portals or entryways into the fall or into the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. So sight, that's why he says, look at that tree. Is it one that's desired to make one wise? Looking. Sometimes appearances can be deceiving. That's why God puts it into our mind. And that's why I said books and reading, a lot of that is vanquishing away, but reading puts you in a dimension to where you can comprehend you have a better sense of rationale through reading and comprehension and understanding it deals with your creative mind, reading does he supplies us with enough information to know that he generally looks like a man but we know fallen man is in the likeness of Adam because if you go all the way to Genesis, let's hold on just a second here. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, it says, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. But these were in the image, those was men, but they were in the image of fallen man. That's why I say a physical resemblance, a physical appearance. Whereas Jesus Christ, we had another image, and I talked about it last week, about his form and shape, and not one of comeliness or whatever, because um, God told Samuel that man looks on the outside. You remember he was going to select one of Jesse's children, which one would be king or whatever, and surely kept looking at the appearances of which one would be king. And Finally, all of the sons had passed before me. He said, do you have any more children or whatever? And David came in. He sent for David or whatever, and it wasn't quite what they expected. Sometimes our expectations of what should be is just like Christ. He came as a suffering Messiah, the reasons the Jews rejected him. But man's expectations, the foolishness of man and the wisdom of man is nothing to God. It's foolishness to God. God works differently than man works. And so we see that nothing goes on in that way or in that direction. And uh, he's, uh, so God gives us enough in his word of him that we should know about God and we should be able to, uh, I didn't use it earlier when he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He was meaning his word. In other words, the, the afflictions and the troubles and the persecution, everything that goes along with learning of him. The, he's the burden bearer, and if we would learn of him, we would continue what? In his word, because his spirit is working effectually 
and each and every one of us to guide us and lead us in the truth, but it's transforming and renewing our mind. It's actually doing something to us, and we don't might not see what it's doing or whatever, but it has an effect, just like that seed that was sown overnight. We might not get see it grow and the germination take place, but we know that there's something going on. That's why we have to patiently wait on God. But the world believes in excitement and seeing a sign and something that they can feel and something that is tangible. And they say, won't no sign or nothing would be forgiven to them. But he does want us to know what he is. He wants us to know him. The entire Bible reveals his mind, his character, his attributes, his offices, his power, his will, the promises, the plan, and a relationship with us. The third commandment concerns this kind of knowledge and how well we apply it in our lives. That's what that concerns and how well we apply it in our lives. But we are of the Laodicean age of the churches into Laodiceanism and it breaks God's laws or change God's laws or it adds leaven to God's laws to where we don't see the essence of the precept to be able to do it uh, come out of Babylon it's a, it's a steady pull that pulls us into Babylon but its spirit is trying to gently guide us out of Babylon either out of being idol makers and an idol factory because naturally man seeks something to worship, something to idolize. The same songs and the singers that we worship or that we listen to today and the same preachers and everything, five years from now we won't be. It will be some other people or some other generation. But with the Word of God, if we learn the Word of God and we get attached to the Word of God and hunger and thirst after the Word of God is like our parents. It has a it has a impress up on us and that part of our parents that's good that we take around with us, we carry that on with us in latter times, whether good or bad, and that's what the Word of God. It impresses God upon us. And the more that impresses God upon us, the more we reject the world and the things of the world, if we hunger and thirsting after the word, it has a sanctifying effect to us. In other words, we are able to put away childish things and put away idol making and start to hear God. Start to see God. Because if we seeking after him, he's going to allow himself to be found by us, those that are seeking him. And it's not the easy way. It's not easy. But we hungering and thirsting for him. And that means we praying over his word and we studying his word. And we talking with him and he see and he's, his spirit's going to lead us and guide us. That, that's why he gave us the spirit. The spirit's going to come in and set, live within us and dwell within us. And it's going to testify of Jesus Christ. And it's going to show us the things of God. That's the Spirit's job. 
That's why Jesus said he's the author and the finish of our faith, but he sends the Spirit in his name because it's the Spirit that doeth the work. Now, idolatry and Sabbath breaking, Ezekiel, the 22nd chapter, and the 8th verse. It says, Thou hast despised my holy things and hast profaned my Sabbaths. The things of God are all despised, he says in the living version. My Sabbaths are ignored. Idolatry and Sabbath breaking are accusations directly squarely at the leaders, specifically at the ministry, for poor leadership and failing to live and teach the things of God because that's what the 70 years captivity was about. It's the 70 years they they didn't keep God's Sabbath. Now where they go too far on the other side of the cliff, when they came back from captivity and the Pharisees had been establishing forms, the Sabbath, they put a fence up around the Sabbath and they made the Sabbath a burden unto the people. They misunderstood God and misunderstood what he meant by the Sabbath. And you still have those preachers of people that they're not profaning the Sabbath in a way, but they've changed the Sabbath and they've used man's philosophy to they even have a new Sabbath. In other words, the Sunday Sabbath. They say Jesus established the Sunday Sabbath, but we know he wouldn't have broke one of God's words and he wouldn't have changed one of his commandments. But that takes years of learning. That takes a long time. And a lot of us are not capable of really understanding that. That's why that's not the nucleus of my teaching, even though I observe the Sabbath. But God has to show us the Sabbath and the Sabbath rest, especially to man that's not giving to understanding and actually studying God's Word. And sometimes he causes people to reject God and reject the things of God because he may be trying to be a teacher where he shouldn't be a teacher and he think teaching things that he should teach and he makes the Sabbath burdensome and we know that none of his commandments are grievous or burdensome to those that are his children that's why John said we have the petition of what we ask of him that he hears our prayers because the commandments are not grievous unto us in other words when he gives us a new heart to understand the Sabbath, to start to understand him, we start to walk in his way and leave the world. we able to come out of the world and help establish the worship that's in truth. In other words, those that worship him in spirit and in truth. That's why he says you wouldn't worship God in that mountain only. In other words, you didn't really need Jerusalem to worship God. You couldn't worship God anywhere. You can worship God in any place. Remember the children of Israel say, how could they sing in a foreign land or they couldn't worship and they wasn't looking unto Jerusalem where that's not how worship is born about with Jesus Christ. We should worship Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. And that's the true worshipers of God that worship him that way. So we don't want to start making idols and start setting up. When Paul went, I think it was the Colossians he was talking to, he said that they observed days and times and he was looking at food and worship of angels and different things. 
And that was the infantile church he was talking to. That was when the church was first coming into existence around 70 AD or, or during that time back right after Jesus was crucified. Just imagine in 2,000 years how much the church should have grown. They should have grown away from tongues and different things. There's a lot of things that the church should be doing now, and it's a greater understanding. That's why the Hebrew writer, he says, let us go on to the perfecting of the saints. There's greater things that we should be doing, and we, we shouldn't be dealing in carnal matters or in trivia matters. There are people in the church that are tasked to doing that teaching the newborn of the babes that are in Christ. That's why you have different levels of Sunday school and teaching and Bible study and people coming to the church and that's not putting in a whole lot of time at studying the Word of God. They may be in the church a long time, but they don't know the Word of God. They hadn't studied the Word of God. They're not in a position to be an elder or a teacher. They're not in position to hold offices in the church or whatever. And that's why we were talking about the church earlier. His church, nothing's going to withhold the growth of God's church and his people. We do grow. You can't nothing hold back the people of God. It says the devils in hell won't prevail against the church of the living God. Yeah. Idolatry as adultery. Ezekiel 6 chapter in the ninth verse. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit more than those, that verse. It says, Yet I will leave some of you alive, a remnant, for you will have some who escape the sword among the nations when you are scattered throughout the countries. That's what we were talking about earlier. He's not, he don't kill everybody. He don't destroy all in the church. He always has a remnant. And he always have people scattered abroad. There are people of God scattered throughout the earth now. And there's a teaching and a preaching I have on scattered. A God scattered people because God does scatter. That's the, the seed. You remember the seed that was scattered was sown throughout the earth. So God does scatter people. That's what happened in Jerusalem the persecution scattered God's people because they were all huddling around in Jerusalem and he had told them to go into all of the world preaching the gospel, to go everywhere. So God himself had to scatter them. But let's continue on. He says, Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations to which they will be exiled, how I have been broken by their lewdness and their adulterous hearts which have turned away from me and by their eyes which lust after their idols, and they will loathe themselves for the evils which they have committed, for all their repulsive acts, then they will know without any doubt that I am the Lord, and I have not said in vain that I would bring the, this disaster as a punishment on both them. So, as we look in throughout this nation, and how, you remember I was telling you earlier how God had blessed the nation or whatever, but the nation of the people have become repulsive. Within the church have become repulsive. They shouldn't even name the name of, the, of Christ, but we know the church have been infiltrated by Satan. We've seen that infiltration right there at the beginning when the apostles began to teach. And Paul says there's going to be a many among you grievous wolves going to enter in 
teaching and drawing away people after them own, their own selves. And Jesus Christ said there's going to be many antichrists come among them, bringing them into idolatry of spiritual adultery. Idols represent what Israel or what the church greatly desired and expended her efforts to possess. And what is the church spending its efforts to possess today? Or what does they desire? Money coming. They desire prosperity. They desire renown. In other words, popularity. Being seen. They are a very covetous, a materialistic nation. We're not seeing people that are genuine lovers of men and lovers of God because they don't love their brethren. True love is not being exemplified among the nations today. As the context shows, what she greatly desired, God, her husband, prohibited. Those things that we preach and teach against, that's what the church, that's what the people desire. God's word prohibited that which the people, that's why he says the reason we don't, a lot of us don't receive what we ask for because we're asking out of wrong desires. We're asking amiss. We're not asking for the right things. We're not lining up with God's word. The things that we're desiring, the things that we're lusting after, God prohibits that in his word. That's the type of people we have become because of lacking of a, the the preaching of God's word. We see ourselves as a favorite people and obtain favor with God, but we are not reciprocate. In other words, we're not reciprocating the love that God had shed abroad, uh, that the love that God gave unto his people, that love should be going out throughout the world. That love should be able to be seen. These fickle lusts led Israel into a relationship with ways of life other than God's ways. And that's what caused their destruction because the leaders, and I told you it was directed at the leaders who had profaned it. In other words, their political and religious leaders. And that's who have corrupted the nation in the day. The political and the religious leaders and the people love to have it so. We're not in disdain of our leadership. We're not in disdain of what's going on in the world. We're not mourning and sighing of what's going on in the world, seeing that it must be an end coming, that God must do something, and that we're working to help him do that, that his will is being done. We are more or less comfortable and tolerating in going along with Babylon and not standing up against it. We're not a force that's coming up against it, that's why we're not facing the struggles, uh, struggles and persecutions. Uh, that's why we're not going through and in, in increasing in the power and knowledge of God because we're going through as passengers on a boat that's just sailing, thinking that we're blown with the ship that we're sailing on, but we're so deceived that we don't realize that we're floating down the river going the broad way. We're given to graven image. We're given to idolatry because we have to see the forms of idolatry 
once we see the forms of idolatry, that's why he says it's going to cause divisions in our home. It's going to cause us to raise up, have against relative, against relative, and the fights, the enemies could be those of our own household because of the religious divide of what God is and who God is talking to. He's not talking to everybody in the family. He's not talking to everybody in the church. And so that does cause division. It causes enemies. Uh, her drive for the excitement of experiencing something new led her to make those other ways her ways. If we read the book of Ezekiel about the Syrians and the things of the world, and if give us a king like the world. We want to bring the music in the world that the church has. I mean, that the world has. We should be able to have rap music. We should be able to have music that moves the soul and the body. And we should be able to dress like the world. We should be able to watch the Super Bowl and participate in everything the world has. We should be able to have all of the holidays and everything the world has. So he says, those that love the world can't love God. If you love the world, you're an enemy of God. There's no difference in you. You're led to sin. God labels this as adultery because she has abandoned him for the world. You're friends of mamma. You're friends of the world. You've left your true love. You're not serving the true and living God. These idols, these things that are are deceiving you are causing this deception. Usually what Israel chased after was outside the guidelines God gave in his commands. They were outside those guidelines as the old saying says, forbidden fruit is the best to eat, having forbidden fruit. Uh, however However, to her his commands always appeared to be denying her pleasure. It was like the parent that the child says, you don't want me to have no fun. You don't want me to live. You don't want me to have this. You don't. Everything seems as though God was saying, nope, you can't have that. You can't do that. You're, you wasn't seeing God as a good God. You were seeing through your preacher's eyes that God doesn't want you to eat of that tree because you will be like God's and God's holding something back on you. But we should see God in Jesus Christ as the give of all good gifts to man. We should see that He has our best interest in His, and our best interest is in Him, and that's why He's a jealous God. He don't want us to be like the world. He don't want us to be carried away with the things of the world. He don't want us to be contaminated with the world. He don't want us to pick up the attributes of the world. We are to be a peculiar people unto him. He says, be ye holy because I'm holy. So that preaching and teaching that shapes you into the image and likeness of God is a narrow way. It's preaching of holiness, and it does cause you to pull off the old man. But the church is not not causing you to pull off the old man. That's why I said some of the things going on in the church nowadays, the older people would say, is this really Christian? Is this God-like? Or whatever. This has drawn us away because the older people, to appeal to the younger people, 
they're letting everything in, but some fools are old fools. You know, there are a lot of old fools in the church. So we don't have men being men. We're not drawing the line of the images, and that's what Hosea, through the earliest of the prophets to connect spiritual idolatry to sexual sin of adultery, was far from the last, as this verse in Ezekiel proves that he was a major prophet at the times of captivity, but that's what brought them into captivity, their sexual promiscuity. So now we have where homosexuality and gay rights and gay pride and LGB, what it is, T, uh, whatever the letters are, I don't even know anything about this, but everything we're normalizing relationships and nothing is wrong. The church should tolerate everything. But wouldn't we see that the church is the most exclusive organization that there is? That the spirit chooses who it's going to put into the church? There are a lot of gate crashes, but God will take care of those. They're going to wish they hadn't. There are a lot that feast among us. There are a lot of betrayers among us. But God's working on those things. We have to be making ourselves in the image of God. He's going to take care of those things. Idolatry leads to captivity. That's why they were in captivity, because they profaned his Sabbaths for 70 years. They didn't keep Sabbath. And so God said that they were going to be in captivity for 70 years. Uh, they were going to be in captivity 70 years by the mouth of Jeremiah because they had gotten away from God's laws. And that's what we have gotten away from God's laws. But after we are born again, God starts to write his laws upon our heart and separates us as a people. But we have to start walking as sons of God, being doers of the word of God, pulling off the world, not giving to these graven images and calling them just what they are and knowing what they are. Sometimes we go along with them because we don't actually know what they are or see them as they, as they are because we're so tied up in the world and our spouses and our children and our parents shape and make the world that we're in. We're shaping an iniquity and sin we will concede and now we're being shaped on iniquity and we have self-idolization. And I have a show that they're not even afraid to call it the American Idol. It's nothing but idols in the world. We look up to other men, other women, other things and stuff. And Amos talked about self-idolization one of the idols that we worship today is the idol of pleasure. Self-pleasure. Having too much time on our hands. God tells us about redeeming the time. Doesn't he? Yes. So we should spend that time getting back closer to God. We should spend our Sabbath days doing those things that are constructive and resting in the Lord 
And it's not just sitting down in the Lord. It's a many a thing that Jesus did on the Sabbath day to glorify God. Let's look at Amos, the sixth chapter, fourth and second verse. He said, those who lie on luxurious beds of ivory and lounge around out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who, Im- who improvise to the sound of the harp, like David, they have composed songs for themselves, who drink wine from sacrificial bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oil, reflecting on their unrestrained celebration, yet they are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. So here we are, see, listening to that music, living comfortable and luxurious lives. We're not worried about those that out there that don't have enough to eat. We're not worried about the oppression that's going on in the world, the injustice that are going on in the world. There's a war going on in Ukraine or whatever. That's far away from a lot of our minds. There's a political uprising in this nation and it's pulling the nation apart. Are we praying and talking to God about those things? Are we thinking about the weekend living in the lap of luxury? Our pleasures. What's the next excitement to come? Uh, uh, what it is tailgating. What's the new season will be like? Just sitting back, relaxing, watching television all the time. What's the next electronic crave? Uh, the iPads, the iPhones, uh, all of the new gimmicks and the pleasures to life. Amos mentions feasting. Indulging in artificial stimulation. I go to therapy a lot of times, and some of the people's they question, and it used to be the same way when I go to work. How was your weekend? What you did on the weekend? Seems like nobody says I, I didn't do anything this weekend. I just sit around. I just talked. I did this or that. It's always like they're James Bond or something. It's some activity going on on the weekend. It's some get together. It's some excursion or whatever. It's some pleasure that they derive from these days. It says, listening to unusual music, and that was was prevalent in those days, was music. And the music nowadays, that's what's uniting the people and uniting the nations and uniting all together. Music tears down a lot of bump walls that, that are formed among people and it uh, brings in those things that unites us but unites us in the wrong way uh, let's see where we at here Hold on just a second first generation that they follow in in chapter 4 of Genesis is Cain it says Cain knew his wife after he went out from the presence of the Lord and she conceived and bare Enoch and he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mahuziel, and Mahuziel begat Methuselah, and Methuselah begat Lamech. And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. And Ada bare Jubal. He was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handled a harp and organ. And she, and Zillah also she bare Tubacane. 
and he was instructor of every artifice of brass and in iron and the system of tubal. So they started to build cities and instruments and weaponry, and they went about the things of organizing life without God. He, he says he left the presence of God. And that's what we have now. We don't realize that God's omnipresence, that you can't leave his presence, but it was like at the Tower of Babel, they did this in the face of God. Everything that we're doing now is in the face of presence of God. So we are profaning his church while God's there. He's on the throne. In other words, there's no reverence of God today. They may honor him with their mouths, but their hearts are far from God because they're serving a God that's made in their image and their likeness, and they're creating the things that God should like because they like those things. They're not asking God of his desires and thinking thoughts after God. They're thinking their own thoughts and building their way to God as they tried to build the tower that reached heaven through their personal security. And that's the thing we look at at the evangelicals today. And the, the church doesn't have the love. It says the love of many shall wax cold. We don't see a loving church today. We see a very divided church, a very cold-hearted church, a misunderstood church, a idolatrous church that we're seeing. And that was because the self-idolization and idolizing other men. Uh, they were taking excessive and vain measures in personal hygiene. And that's what I say. Are we looking at the personal hygiene? Marriage is not like it used to be. And that's why we have the plagues and the destruction that's going to come upon the world as it's coming upon. And the sanctity of marriage is being belittled by man marrying man and woman marrying woman. And anything goes. God is just like Burger King, have it your way or whatever. His rules and regulations. We're not preaching the word. And Paul says perilous time was going to come. It was going to come those times when men was going to be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. But he told Timothy, he says, Timothy, you preach the word. Preach it in season and out of season. That's the only vanguard we have against the influx of everything that's going on, the preaching of his word. That word will never change. That's the most powerful thing it is. That's the only thing that can change your life and sanctify you before God. It's to preach the word of God. And that hearing comes by hearing the word of God. And faith, that faith that comes by hearing. So you're hearing the word of God. But we have a lack of preachers a lack of hearing the word. We're dull of hearing. And he told Isaiah, they were going to become dull of hearing and they wasn't going to be able to see and they were going to lack understanding. So we shouldn't be confused or be distraught that most of the church world don't see or don't understand. That's why Isaiah and some of the others wasn't disappointed because God says, 
they wasn't going to be able to see, that they wasn't going to be able to understand that the church was going to apostatize. All of these things was going to happen, so he didn't give us expectation that we were disappointed in what was happening. We shouldn't. We should be able to see that God's word is following the pattern it's supposed to follow. By contrast, verses nine through ten show ten common Israelites huddled together in one house in fear of the war induced by plagues, and that's what we're worried about today: the plagues that are coming up on the earth, the things that are coming up on the earth. Uh, uh, read this in Amos. Now it sounds like. It was today, and I didn't think I could have ever seen it as it was a year or two ago in this pandemic where they were piling bodies in the 18-wheelers and burning bodies by the truckloads across the world. The book of Amos, people will die so rapidly that the survivors looking out for themselves will not take time to bury the bodies of their own families but burn them in huge funeral piles or whatever. Doesn't it sound like today? Doesn't it sound like that they didn't have films and everything, that they were cremating the people and they tell you not to go to the film because this was going to be a, a spreader, or a super spreader? We're not looking at this, ain't, is it the same time? And it's going to get worse because just as that was going on then and God chastening the people then it's then got worse and mankind has gotten even worse than that these survivors will eventually recognize that God has disassociated himself from them and they will consider it an evil thing even to mention the name of God now we've seen that where a lot of people say don't mention God's name here. see because what has happened they realize you bringing this man's blood upon us, and that's what the Jews didn't want. See, because when you play with God's name, when you don't have any reverence for God's name, the blind's leading the blind. So you're following. You, he says, gather the wheat and tares here in my barn, but gather those other things in the pile to be burned. So with all of the mega churches and the concerts and the people in droves, listening and following this other Jesus. A Jesus that we don't reverence. A Jesus that the people that are singing these songs, a lot of them aren't married. They're not associated with any particular church. They're not preaching or advocating holiness. See, because without holiness, we shall not see the Lord. So they're preaching and advocating themselves that you should worship or follow them. Their singing and their music and their thing leads to you being in the in crowd, leads to you having a euphoric feeling of God and having this, you're on top of the world syndrome, but you don't know who saved you, how he saved you. You don't know the word of God, but you do know music. You do know Jesus, Jesus, and all of these things. But as Jesus was walking, walking along with the people on the road to Emmanuel, he said, well, tell me what things has happened. Can we lead somebody to salvation? Can we see a say, well, this person is not living a repentant life. You living with somebody contrary, are you working contrary? You doing contrary to God's word, but yet still you saying 
you following God. God says deny yourself, but you say, no, God takes us as is. We can do what we want to do. That's why he died for us. But no, he says deny yourself, doesn't he? But we're not doing that. We're doing what makes us feel good. Everybody is entitled to happiness and peace and joy and to be loved of it. But that's not what God's Word says. He says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow after me. You will suffer during the end. The cup that I drink of, you will drink of that cup. The people here were rich and indulgent, or poor and deprived, and were self-concerned. So we paying people, it's people that follow people that famous for being famous. You know, they don't do anything, but they just a famous family or whatever. The poor people giving all of their money for records and CDs and all that, that's how the poor stay poor because you're paying the richest way because you're following and living in a dream world. If you would save some of your money, save some of what you're putting on the lottery, save to where you paying all of these people and trying to buy salvation, which is free, which God gives you, and he shows you how to prosper and be in health, and that is to follow in his word and continue in his word. He's the one that gives you power to get wealth. But you fall in false promises and false ideology. Throughout chapter 6, Amos balances complacency and disaster, boasting and fear, showing that they result from rejecting God and idolizing self. That's why those things are coming upon you. You've putting yourself upon a pedestal. You've putting somebody else in the place of God. You've made a graven image. It might not be like you talking about people making those statues and bow down to them, but you've made these songsters, you've made these movie stars, these football players, these politicians, these preachers, and all of this, and you've made this church, and you made you could make anything out of a graven image, or you can make anything out of an idol. Haggai one through seven, I mean Haggai first chapter seven to eleven, this is quite pointed. When our ways do not please God, he says that he sends drought. These people were practicing a form of idolatry. They were worshiping themselves, their houses, and their works of their own hand. They were bragging upon what they had, what they got, their cars, their houses, their money, their job security, their looks, their appearances on things. Basically, they were ignoring God by putting his work second or third, and they wasn't paying tithes and offerings, and those that were paying tithes and offerings was doing it because of gain. They wasn't doing it because of God's word. They were getting the finest material for themselves and not giving a hoot about God's house. God, it says, go back and build his house. Are we invested in the house of God? Are we invested in the things of God? Are we building our own houses and our own reputation? So these things that we're making graven images is bringing us into bondage. And that's what I say. Graven images and idolatry brings this worshiper and those that practice it into bondage and into captivity in which they enslave themselves. God had set us free, and that's what the gospel tells us, 
that He had given us liberty in Christ Jesus, we don't have to pay to be prosperous in the Lord or get anywhere in God, but yet and still, these idols that we serve, if we don't have any money or we don't have what they're asking for, we can't participate in it. We can't participate in it. But God gives so freely and abundantly that once you become a child of God, you want to freely give to God and you want to give more to God. You see why he says it's better to give than to receive. But Heavenly Father, as we come before you this day, Lord God, help us not to be given to images and graven idols that would bring us into 